all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, is a show that explores issues that relate to you and your family. To find out what we're all about, subscribe to the podcast by using any podcast app or by downloading our MPB Public Media app. Good morning and thanks for joining us today here on Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. I'm your host, Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Joining me in the studio today is Dr. Carl Mangum. He is a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner and also an associate professor in the School of Nursing at UMMC. And we're going to be talking about the topic of loneliness today. And when I first told someone you know, that we were going to be talking about this topic, they were like, well, that's that's different than your your usual stuff you talk about. But in actuality, you know, we're all about lifestyle medicine uh, here and prevention and wellness. And the sixth pillar of lifestyle medicine is social connection. So it actually fits right along in with what we do in lifestyle medicine. And it's actually been something that I've been trying to focus in more on with my patients, but also with the different types of learners that I have with me. I teach a couple of uh, classes for healthcare providers. Uh, I have residents and, and different students with me in clinic. And I've really been trying to, to hone in on how important it is that we look at people's social connection, their resiliency, um, and their you know presence of loneliness or not. So we're going to dive into that in just a minute. But if you have a question or a comment, you can always email me fit at mpbonline.org. All right, Carl, we met the other day in the parking lot and we said, what are we going to talk about? And you said loneliness. So tell me why that was so important to you. I know why it's important to me. Well, loneliness is a, a bigger problem out there than people think. Mm-hmm. Um, when most people think of loneliness, they think of older adults. They think of mostly people probably 65 and older. Um, and they think of people that may be shut-ins or just uh, their families uh, grown up and moved away, and, and they just don't have any interaction with other people or a lot of it. But that's really not the case. Uh, that is true many times uh, for that age group, but uh, actually loneliness affects all age groups, uh, including um, young children, uh, adolescents, young adults. Uh, I believe one of the statistics is that young adults are twice as likely Correct. to report uh, loneliness than older adults are. And so it's it's one of those things that um, most people just do not realize um, that there's a problem. Um, and there are a lot of reasons for the problem. Um, and uh, among those are uh, technology. Yes. Uh, we're more connected now uh, through technology than ever before in, um, in um, human time. Yeah. But 
the connection of humans to humans is actually less. And uh, the pandemic didn't help too much with that. Um, actually, it made it a little worse with kids not being in school, mm-hmm. people not being at work, people not being out with their friends, um, you know, and it caused it to actually be worse. And so um, with loneliness and the, the social connectedness, um, it, it can cause so many issues, not only on the psychiatric side, but on the physical side. And that's some of the stuff that, you know, that we'll cover and talk about, but uh, it can make you sick. Yeah, absolutely. It, it can actually kill you. It can, it can. So, you know, it's it's not just something that you and I are interested in, but it's actually um, a priority of the Surgeon General, Yes. you know, which is um, the Surgeon General puts out advisories, which we often think it's, you know, smoking, you know, Surgeon General advisory about smoke or, you know, these different kinds of things. But this year actually came out in May was the Surgeon General advisory on social connection and loneliness. And so it's it's very interesting to see that kind of thrust forth uh, in such a, a bold way. And, you know, there are several strategies that have been proposed to help address this issue. And we'll go through some of those as we move throughout the show today. And, and it's not just uh, for our country, too. I know oh, uh, stuff has come out in the United Kingdom uh, and a couple of other countries, too, um, you know, showing the emphasis on how important this is mm-hmm. and, and things that need to be done to, to counter it. Yeah. So let's give it some, some concreteness to it. So you mentioned it can make you sick, right? So if we look at the health consequences of kind of untreated or unintervened upon um, loneliness, we've got a 29% increased risk of uh, heart disease, a 32% increased risk of stroke, 50% increased risk for dementia in that older adult population. Um, People who report feeling lonely have double the risk of depression. And then childhood loneliness um, increases the risk for anxiety and depression, not only just in those childhood years, but lasting into young adult and and, full for the lifespan. So when we think about especially those first two I talked about right there, heart disease and stroke, right? When we think about the number one killer of men and women globally, it's heart disease. And we tend to focus on what we're eating, which we should, right? And our physical activity, again, we should. And our stress and and those types of things and what our cholesterol is and what our blood pressure is. Um, But we also need to be looking at what is our social connection to to those around us and how are we feeling in terms of social support um, and feeling like we belong? You know, one of the things that we look at um, from the psychiatric side is, you know, when people tell us that they're sad or depressed or uh, feeling lonely, you know, one of the things we ask is, well, um, do you interact with your friends? Mm-hmm. Do you interact with family? Uh, how many close friends do you have? Um, and we always want people to have, a, you know, as many as they want to have. Um, of course, you get into the area of uh, extroverts and introverts. And, right. you know, the world's made up by a, a group of all of those. Uh, but, you know, most people, you know, have two or three good friends um, and, and have some family members that they can communicate with. Uh, but everyone needs someone that they can confide in. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't necessarily have to tell deep, dark secrets, but you need to be able to have someone you can confide in and talk to when you have problems and issues that you trust. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that uh, dealing with isolation and social connectedness 
really comes back down to trust, people you can trust. And sometimes it takes a little time to build that trust, but it's something that we all should be working on. You know, one of the the other numbers there that uh, loneliness and social isolation increase the risk of just premature death itself by 26 and 29 mm. percent, respectively. And that's a huge number. It is. Um, just for premature death. And this is something that people think that we can easily fix. And and in a way, you can. It's, we have to interact with each other. and uh, But it's harder than you think yeah. to get people to interact with one another. Um, I was at a restaurant uh, recently, and there were several very young families there that had uh, young children. I would say they were ages three to six. And uh, there were about six children, and each one of them had an electronic device of some type, either a phone or a tablet of some type. And each child was very engaged with that device, and even some of the adults were. Uh, But they weren't talking to each other. They weren't communicating. They weren't uh, interacting in any way. Uh, They weren't even interacting with the device. They were just watching the device. And um, I I just remember when I was a child back in the – early 70s, and I'll date myself a little bit there, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, my own mama would say, don't sit too close to the TV. You don't need to be watching that TV, all that much. That stuff will rot your brain and all those things. I think things. mine and, told me it was bad for my eyes, and, uh, right, uh, which uh, I can't see. So uh, maybe it was. Who knows? Maybe that's why I wear glasses <laughs> today. But, uh, but you know, the, the idea is, is kind of still the same. Um, you're not interacting with other people. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of our young people today do not know how to carry on a conversation uh, with other humans because they've just not been interacting mm-hmm. with other humans. Um, and that that's an issue. And that leads to some of this loneliness when you don't know how to interact or you're afraid to interact because you don't have the experience of doing it. And, you know, I'm not pointing out anyone. I understand when things are going on and you're, you've had a long day and things are busy. And I, I completely understand that. I, I have uh, eight grandchildren of my own and, and I know things are happening, but we have to make a conscious decision to put things down, have our children interact with us. Mm -hmm. And uh, they don't learn all this stuff at school. At school, they need to be learning math and reading and science and those types of things. And they will get some interaction, but a lot of that main interaction of how to appropriately interact with other people comes from the home. And we need to uh, work on that as best we can. And gosh, I feel it. Like, you know, I remember when my kids were younger and they would just be squealing in the restaurant, you know, and you can tell people are looking at you like, why can't you make your kid be quiet? And I'm like, you are welcome to come give it a try. But um, it's you're going to fail, too. You know, and so you just get in the habit of here, watch this on my phone, you know, something to to shut that seen down that that's a happening yeah a distraction but what we've started to do is they're like my youngest loves puzzle games my oldest loves trivia games so whatever parent is sitting on the side with the trivia kid like if we're gonna do something on a device we do it together right so we take we do the trivia games together we you know that kind of stuff and then, and then we're gonna do the puzzle game together as well where we talk strategy through it so it's it's combining those and, two and, things and say that's a good thing that you're interacting with one another you're doing knowledge things you're building knowledge but you're do, you're building 
that interaction. And so those are good things. The technology does have a really good place mm-hmm. where uh, many people that have certain handicaps, and we'll, we'll just call it that name, um, that have trouble interacting with others or are limited in interaction with others, the technology brings them to the forefront where they can interact with others. So there is a very positive thing with our, our great technology that we have. Um, but it's all, again, with anything else, is how you use it. And if you use it appropriately, man, we can make some great strides with it and do good things with it. Um, but when we don't, um, we dig ourselves another hole. Yeah. We also do great rounds of I Spy when we're out at restaurants. We're very competitive here at the Bidwell family. All right, Carl. Um, one thing that uh, we didn't get to in the in the first segment that I want to make sure that we kind of touch on here is that Social isolation and loneliness, while interrelated, are not necessarily the same thing, right? Social isolation is an objective something, right? Which objective usually means I can measure that. So, you know, it's the number of relationships that you have. So you mentioned, um, you know, most folks have two or three kind of close friends. So, you know, the the number of of kind of relationships, your roles that that you interact in, if you're in groups, you know, if you um, and the, the different types of interactions that you have in those groups. And that's fairly easy for me to assess from a clinic standpoint. There are kind of a set of questions that I ask. I start out with, um, do you talk to anybody on the phone during the week? You know, and that's a way for me to get, you know, brothers and sisters or mama and daddy that you talk to. And I'll say, how many times do you do that? You know, that kind of thing. Or um, do you attend any type of um, group worship? You know, do you go to church, to temple, you know, any of these different kinds of things? How often do you go, right? Um, are there any other kind of groups that you meet with? And so I can kind of start to quantify these things. When I ask what you do for a living, you know, I'll say, do you work from home or do you go into the office, that kind of stuff. And you can start to kind of piece together some a little bit more objective measures of isolation versus not isolated. But loneliness is a subjective construct. And subjective is, means it's just a little bit, a bit softer to come up with, right? You know, it's a, it's harder to measure. Um, there are some tools out there, and we're actually looking at adding one of those kind of screening tools to our sets of questions. I always try and be really um, cognizant of how many screening questions I'm asking patients because I don't want you to get survey fatigue. Um, There's a really um, nice kind of three question um, survey that's out there that is well validated that looks at loneliness and just kind of helps to try and quantify it a little bit. But it is much more the just the feeling of um, perceived isolation almost and feeling alone. Um, And it can be very distressing. It can be. And and you're exactly right. That that perceived isolation um, or inadequate meaningful connections. In other words, I, I don't think enough people interact with me or that perceived feeling that I'm all alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and many people have those. And as I talk to people, um, you know, I come across people that tell me those things. And and, and like you, I'll start asking more questions. Uh, unfortunately, that's a 
that's a habit in psych is we he does we, ask a lot of we questions. tend to ask more questions and we tend to answer questions with other questions uh, but um, that's how we find out what's going on mm-hmm. that's how we uh, get to an answer and, and get to um, try to solve issues um, but but with loneliness though it is kind of that subjective feeling of I'm all alone no one loves me, no one cares for me, no one is interacting with me, no one wants to play with me, no one wants to uh, eat with me, no one wants to be interacting with me. Mm -hmm. And those feelings are real. Even though, um, uh, let's say, a child may be in school and they may be a member of a sports team and they may do well in class, they still may have that perceived feelings uh, because no one interacts with them after school. Uh, maybe that's the problem is that it's not in school, it's after school or in evenings or weekends. And so that's where we have to ask those questions to find out where that loneliness is. It may not be, uh, it, it may actually be certain times of the day. Um, people uh, know that Sunday syndrome. Uh, many people have that Sunday afternoon syndrome. The Sunday scaries? Yeah, where I have them. Sunday afternoon you just start getting depressed. Or you you have that loneliness feeling. Oh, I like, get anxious on Sunday afternoon. And you just because you know Monday's coming, and you just feel horrible, and you start worrying about stuff, and you dread stuff, and and, and loneliness is very similar to that. Is uh, especially if there's a certain date or a day of the week mm-hmm. or a certain event or right. or a, um, an ever, anniversary of some type coming up. Uh, loneliness will have those or invoke those same feelings. Um, as that Sunday thing. Mm-hmm. And so um, we have to ask those questions, and, and it does cause distress for the individual. That's what we have to keep in mind. It's affecting the mm-hmm. individual. Now, is this something that I can draw a tube of blood and send it to the lab and find out about? No. Uh, is it something that I, I can uh, take their blood pressure and find out? Maybe. But it's not definitive. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is something that we have to ask the questions about. And the person has to tell us stuff. And we have to um, make that decision based on what the person answers and, and what they say. So it's real. Uh, again, we don't have a blood test for it. I wish we did. Uh, but it, it's real, and it does cause distress for that person. And that's what I want to make uh, clear to people, that this stuff can be, and that's why it has a 26% chance of uh, premature mm-hmm. death. Um, and 29% on the social connectedness issue is because it affects you that much. Mm-hmm. And it's that important that we address it. And, you know, it's also not something that you can just look at someone and tell, Mm-mm. you know, um, kind of very similar to depression. You know, you, exactly. you can't, um, you know, sometimes we'll see, um, you know, where someone has committed suicide and those types of things. And we'll go, well, I just couldn't tell, you know, that they were struggling or, or having any issues. And loneliness is this is the same way you know i would largely imagine that people would call me an extrovert um i'm a i'm a little out there um but you know we mentioned the pandemic you know and the country was already dealing with loneliness issues and and social connection problems long before the pandemic you can look at the trajectory of the um you know the line graphs that start mm-hmm. start going down on um connection and increasing on things like loneliness and you know the pandemic was a, a shared phenomenon you know it touched 
everyone, but not everybody's uh, story is the the same in that, you know, um, a lot of people, when you think about the word pandemic, they think of staying home, right, and being at home for frontline healthcare workers, like, we didn't we didn't go home, you know, Uh, we were right there at the front of it. And so we weren't isolated, per se. But but I was lonely, you know, because it felt like you were just fighting a war that you didn't know if you were going to be able to win almost by yourself, you know, when you're all decked out in all of that uh, isolation gear and you can't take it off and you can't have your, uh, you know, your lunches that you would normally sit around with your colleagues and have and those kinds of things. And so a different kind of of loneliness, uh, you know, being very connected to people, you know, being around people, um, but still having that loneliness piece there. So you can't you can't just look at and say, you know, this person is, is going to be lonely um, or not. You know, one thing that I've challenged my um, preventive medicine residents that, that work with me to, to think of, I had them read some papers on loneliness and, and how it impacts health. And I, I made them think about if you just had 60 seconds to talk with another healthcare care provider about why we should care about loneliness what would you say you know and they came up with some you know some great responses and a lot of it had to do with the increased heart disease and all those kinds of things but my you know, like the thing that just drove it home for me was lacking social connection can increase the risk for premature death as much as smoking up to 15 cigarettes per day like that's massive when you think about it you know if there was Anything else that we could directly measure that I said would could kill you just as much as smoking almost a pack a day, we would be looking at what kind of medicines we can use to, to target that and all these different kinds of things. So, you know, if you're a healthcare provider out there, I hope that you're listening to how this can be impacting your patients, right? You know, if you've got a patient with high blood pressure or, you know, uh, any increased risk of heart disease. Uh, diabetes also rolls into here, you know, all of these depression, anxiety, all of those don't neglect to ask the, to ask the questions about social connection and um, and uh, isolation and yeah. loneliness, yeah. you know, because they really um, can be I think we would consider it one of the softer sides of, of medicine, you yeah. know, um, but remember, it really can be important. And remember, it goes across all social economic, all gender, all race, all it, it crosses all of them. This affects everyone equally, mm-hmm. and uh, ages uh, it doesn't matter. And so this is one that that gets everybody. And so there's no, I, I don't want to say it necessarily like this, but there's no place to hide. Yeah. Um, and um, if you don't have friends, you need to get some. Yeah. Um, and. Um, yeah. Look at it that way. Yeah, and we'll talk about some strategies to do that a little bit more, but we do have a caller on the line. So I want to go to Yazoo County and say good morning to Belle. How can we help you? I, I just wanted to make some comments. Sure. Um, my husband and I both married late, and uh, uh, I, I know what you're talking about, that it can be for all age groups, because um, I had a lot of, he did too, a lot of lonely years in there in in young adulthood mm-hmm. and uh, um, I think one thing that people need to remember if they're like that um, I had friends and I remember when interest rates went up 
in 78, and every married woman that had not been working went to work mm. to pay the house note. Mm-hmm. And you've got to keep in mind a lot of times if you're lonely and you do have friends that you don't hear from much, you got to remember it, it might not be personal. It's that they're so busy. Yeah, absolutely. You, you, like you, you work all day, you got to come home and cook and see about the kids. Mm-hmm. And people just really honestly don't have time to socialize a lot. And uh, But I would say uh, keep on keeping on that there are things out there that you can join mm-hmm. and uh, things like that. And, and uh, right now, church attendance is down and there are a lot of churches that will welcome people Mm -hmm. and if you're not religious there are other things that you can get into and that was really helpful for me and uh i just hate it for people to feel lonely and turn it in on themselves like is there something wrong with Mm -hmm. me but i just wanted to throw that out there well, I thank you for giving us a call this morning, Belle, and you hit the nail right on the head in finding meaning and finding a purpose um, and using that to help um, help bridge connection with other like-minded folks. Um, you know, Belle mentioned um, that she spent several years of her young adult life before she got married, kind of more alone. And that is often one of the reasons why we see the, that kind of uptick in young adults reporting uh, the feelings of loneliness and, and social isolation and those types of things, because that is a a turning point in development, really, when you start to move between life stages. Um, you, you move from being a student, usually, into more of a quote-unquote adult, which is way overrated. And then, you know, you have to figure out where you you fit in, in this kind of new stage of the life that you're in there. And that's often when we see upticks in things like anxiety and depression, uh, when you have kind of big life changes there. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Josie Bidwell. Joining me in the studio is one of our all-time favorite guests, Dr. Carl Mangum. And we are talking about loneliness and social connection today and the importance of focusing in on that, not just for our mental health, but it translates into our physical health as well. You know, we started the show by highlighting the fact that um, social connection and loneliness is Um, a priority for the Surgeon General this year that they have released a um, Surgeon General advisory report. It is 82 pages in length. Um, So just a little light reading if you're looking for something to read. I know you and I both have read it. We have highlights and sticky notes all over our copies because we were just gobbling it up and shaking our heads like, yes, this this is the stuff, you know. Um, But one of the priorities uh, that that is coming from that reporter that the Surgeon General is is wanting focus on is increasing public awareness of this, which is one of the reasons we're doing this show, right, to increase the public awareness of that. And, you know, when you look at the number of adults in the U.S. who report feelings of loneliness, it's 50 percent of U.S. adults report that. But in the, the same vein, looking at um, whether people see it as a major problem or not, less than 20% of people see it as a major problem. So we acknowledge the fact that we're lonely, but we're, we haven't fully acknowledged the fact that it is detrimental to our overall health and well-being. 
But th- that's not really a surprise to me, yeah. um, you know, based still on the stigma of mental health exactly. in the country. So that's, um, again, not a surprise, but it, it's still a worry mm-hmm. um, that we we need people to see see it for what it is. And the statistics, you know, prove out what it is. Mm-hmm. And um, we need to work together to, to make it better for all of us because this is going to affect you or someone in your family. The, you know, the statistics bear that out. Uh, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but at some point it will. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, and before we took this last break, um, you know, we had the caller who talked about kind of her, her time before marriage and kind of spending those years alone and talked about kind of the different life stages and, and moving into those. And I know I went to a very small high school. There were all, I think my graduating class had 42 people in it, you know, and everybody knew everybody and everybody kind of had um, – they're kind of little group that they fit in, you know, um, but all the groups interacted with each other fairly well and those kinds of things. And then I moved um, to Oxford and went to college, you know, and it was like, whoa, you know, like, who are all these people and how am I ever going to find my place in all of these people, you know, in high school, I was a cheerleader and a dancer. And, you know, that was kind of my identity that I, you know, I had for myself. And I mean, while, while my mama thinks I dance real good, <laughs> like I was not, um, I was not college level dance material. And so, you know, that, that kind of automatic placeholder that you would have in, inserting into a group was not there. So I had to figure out what what do I like, you know, and, and in what way can I serve? And that's actually where I found my place was service, right? You know, what student groups can I find that are serving other people? Um, Cause it, it doesn't take any talent to serve. You just have to have compassion and kindness. Um, and I like to think I've got a little bit of that. And so um, that, that's kind of ultimately how I found, found my folks, you know, and there's a whole group of us out there that are service people, mm-hmm. and that's what we do. That's what our life was designed for, was to be in service to others. And and there's nothing wrong with that. And, and I do encourage everyone to, you know, do what, do what you do. Mm-hmm. Look for the people that do what you do. Uh, but there's still nothing wrong with talking to other people and learning about other people. There may be something that, that interests you. And, um, you know, one of the, the things uh, from the Surgeon General's report, they talk about the six pillars to advance social connection, and they have these six broad areas uh, ranging from strengthen local uh, communities to um, uh, enact public policies and health sectors and things like that. But uh, number six is to build a culture of connection, and one of the things under that is really caught my eye, and it talks about cultivate values of kindness, mm-hmm. respect, service and commitment to one another and and i think that kind of sums up service um and, and it's one of those things that you know we have to remember it's not all about us individually and uh, i i have to remind people that a lot of times it's not all about you sometimes it's about other people and when we make it all about us sometimes uh, that's how we end up lonely mm-hmm. uh, because we we make it just about us and other people um 
most of the time don't want to hear about you all the time. Right. They want to hear about you to learn about you and to, to get to know you, and that's a good thing. Uh, but into that relationship of friendship or whatever it is, after a while, they're like, okay, well, I know you. Uh, let's, let's, let's learn about something else. And so, uh, but that, that values of kindness and respect, um, and that trust, I think is one word they left out of there that I think is so important that uh, we learn to trust each other. And I think that's a value that's missing uh, in our society today that no one really talks about is that trust. Um, and uh, I, I think it's um, uh, something that's missing. Mm-hmm. And when, I think if we bring it back up and talk about it and, and talk about trust and, and form trust with one another, I think some of those issues will, will get better. Yeah. All right, we've got a caller on the line, so we're going to say good morning to Gerald in Diamond Head. How can we help you? Well, I'm just calling to say how much I'm enjoying your program. I've been driving some this morning and listening to your conversation, and it's really important. I'm a retired clergy person Mm -hmm. and spent many years in fairly large congregations and then later in denominational work and the church administration and then eventually in teaching in a theological school uh, on a part-time basis. And one, of the, and, and one of the things that I have found as I have moved into retirement, in, um, which is what we're doing in Diamond Head, we're, we're, we were in Tennessee for most of those years, but is this, this such an adjustment to moving from being deeply engaged in life and mm-hmm. in administration and uh, doing what you believe to be important work, and then to moving to um, the um, pretty much isolation of being, uh, uh, you know, not, not involved in much of anything. So right. one of the things I've tried to do is find ways to become involved mm-hmm. and to uh, uh do things. I write a weekly column for the little Seacoast Echo newspaper here, uh, which gives me something to do. I have an office at my home, and I go to it every day, just like I'm going to work. Uh, I read, I write, I um, sometimes uh, teach or lead or even lead worship in various places. And uh, but but even with all of that, it's still a challenge at mm-hmm. times to to. To maintain that sense of worth, if you will, yeah, uh, purpose of uh, uh, purpose, that's, uh, that sense of uh, you know that you, you hear you live your whole life um, dealing with what you believe would be important things, and then all of a sudden you're not, and it's been a challenge for me, and mm-hmm. my, my, my wife can attest to some of those <laughs> challenges, but uh, 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 so. I just wanted to get you to see if you had any comments about that kind of uh, thinking at that stage of life. As, as and to be honest, I never thought about it until I got to it. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, you're spot on as well. You know, it's a it's a life stage change. You know, just like we were talking about That's moving true. from, you know, moving from being an adolescent to a young adult, moving from a young adult to being, you know, an adult or a, a middle aged adult, mm-hmm. and then you know, moving on into the retirement. There's there's struggles at each one of those stages because it is an adjustment from what is normal and comfortable. You know, to you, you we get we get comfortable. You know, we get comfortable in what we're doing. Um, you know, I have um, some lovely patients who 
um, you know, were, uh, you know, stayed at home and took care of their children. And that was, you know, really what they invested their time in and felt was their purpose and their calling. And then the kids grow up and move out and, and move away. And that even if you're not moving into, you know, quote unquote, retirement, that's still a life stage change there. And so kind of struggling with, well, what do I? What am I supposed to do now? Right? You know, and who you, am I now? yeah, that, who that, am I yeah, now? That, that, and um, finding that it. that sense of belonging, right, Doctor Mangum? Yes, uh, Erickson would call it uh, ego integrity versus despair. Oh gosh, gotta and, love good old Eric, Eric Erickson. Eric Erickson. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I'm, a, I'm a regular. I've read a lot of his stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah, and uh, I certainly am aware yeah. of, of his approach. And then value it very much. Yeah, it's one of those things. uh, Like Dr. B. Well said, it's kind of that normal uh, progression from one stage to another of life, and it's one of those things that uh, many of us just have to kind of, uh, as you said, rebrand ourselves into to doing something different. Uh, You still have plenty of value to bring to people, to people around you, and to people that you've not even met yet. And uh, that's the that's the important thing that you you have value, you have self-worth and that uh, you don't know who's going to be that next person you're going to run into that needs your wisdom and your life experience and your life knowledge. And um, that's yeah, I appreciate that. I I think one of the things that I have, of course, you know, you live your whole life being engaged in the in the mix of things, dealing with other people's issues and problems, doing a lot of counseling, yes. those kinds of things. And then all of a sudden, uh, it seems like nobody needs you anymore. <laughs> and it's sort of an ego thing in a way. There's yeah. no way to get around that re- reality. And, and so you, you have to find ways to um, address that. And I'm a, I'm an introvert. On the Myers-Briggs, I'm an INFP. <laughs> I'm about as introverted as you can be, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and, and so I, I really do uh, need, and so there's a lot of introspection going on mm-hmm. in me all the time. You know, what's what, what's wrong? What's going on? You know, how am I doing? All right. those all those things that INFPs do, and, and uh, so it, it's really important, I think, and it, I found having colleagues and friends that I can talk to is incredibly valuable, and, and I've, that's been a challenge moving to a new city, a new place, but but I've been fortunate enough to do that, and so that is, that's a big help as well. Absolutely. That's where that technology it becomes that really important that we can main contact with uh, with people that are, you know, hundreds of miles away from us, but yeah, yet they, they're yeah. just like in the next room. Yep. Yeah, that's a great blessing. All right, Gerald, you have a great rest of your day and a safe week. Absolutely. Thank you for giving us a call. I know that you've helped someone out there by sharing your story. We are in the last couple of minutes of the show, and we've spent the majority of this show talking about individual kind of level things, you know, individual social connection and loneliness. But I want to make sure that we don't forget that these same things can be transferred to the community at the community level and uh, communities that have more opportunities for connection and stronger 
um, kind of linkages within the community tend to be healthier communities. They have better responses to disasters. They have um, usually better economic um, kind of footprint and those kinds of things. And so it's almost kind of one of those two birds, one stone kind of things because uh, having resources within the community to support social connection is also a way for people to get connected, if that makes any kind of sense. That is definitely um, one of the big issues that's out there. Communities need to work together within that one community to provide some of this, and everyone usually goes, well, who's going to pay for it? Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that's a big question that's out there, but a lot of this doesn't cost money. Um a lot of it's just time and effort in a location um, where you can have people come together and, and just have a group of talking uh, or a group of togetherness. Um, you know, uh, we all think of church or or some type of religious organization having a meeting. We also think of uh, different sports groups having meetings or gatherings. We think of different craft uh, organizations mm-hmm. um, doing different crafts or paintings or whatever it is. Uh, we think of just different civic organizations doing things. Uh, all of those are great examples uh, of of what we're talking about, and 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 there are several others out there that I'm I'm sure I've uh, neglected to mention. Uh, but that's one of the things, that, and many times these are just spurred on by one or two inter- individuals that really want to make a difference, mm-hmm. and, and they really get people together. They bring people together, and sometimes they start out with just two, three, four people, and it just grows from there, and, and people get interested, and it makes a difference. But it's back to that cultivating those values of kindness and respect and service and commitment to one another, and it really comes back to that. And and, and I really want to make sure people, like like you said, understand that uh, this is an individual sport, but it's also a group sport. Mm-hmm. And, group effort. And, and when those communities have those, that community does thrive so much mm-hmm. better on so many levels, uh, not just the mental health issue, but the the physical issue. Uh, they're healthier uh, on the monetarily issue. They're better off that way. Uh, just so many different issues that the whole community as a whole is better. Yeah. And one of the ways you can kind of get started with that is think about what's your particular skill set? Like, do you have something that other people might want to learn, right? Sure. That could be volunteering at your local um, you know, nursing home or assisted living facility to teach a class in that. You know, maybe you're an artist and you want to teach uh, paint, right? Um, I teach uh, Zumba. Zumba Gold can be done in the chair, right? So go to, you know, these assisted living places and, and teach a, a dance class, these kinds of things. There's lots of different ways to get involved there. And uh, I know volunteer and firefighters are, the numbers are way down all across the country. Mm-hmm. Um, if you like uh, that type of thing and want to be involved in your community, you can become a volunteer firefighter. Mm-hmm. Uh, volunteer EMS is still out there. Uh, those types of things are still available 
Um, and so there are plenty of ways that you can be involved. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, getting plugged in that way, one, you, you feel good about yourself. You help other people feel good as well. And I know we talked about, you know, there are pros and cons to um, technology. But, you know, if you're not able to get out, there are still ways to join groups online. You know, I wrote a prescription this past week for an online book club for one of my patients who absolutely loves to read and shouldn't have anybody to talk to it, uh, talk about with it. So we got her set up with with a, a book club because they are out there for every genre of book you could possibly Excellent. imagine. So it's just about getting creative and looking for ways to plug yourself in on things that make your heart happy. And sometimes people just need to be made aware of things. Most people just don't know. And sometimes that kind word is saying, here, let me help you. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's all it takes. It'll make a, a huge difference mm-hmm. in the world. And in that one person. Mm -hmm. Or just give somebody a smile. You have no idea how powerful just smiling at somebody can be. And if they look at you weird, that's okay, too. Uh, You know, I get looked at weird all the time. It'll be all right. Um, But, you know, be somebody's bright spot in their day. You know, that's what I try to do every day. Make a difference. All right. We uh, ran through that hour. You've been listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. If you didn't catch our show in its entirety, you can do that by searching for our podcast by typing in Southern Remedy on your favorite podcasting app. Our podcasts are produced by Jermaine Flood and our episodes are produced by the wonderful Kevin Farrell. If you didn't get your question in today, you can always email me fit at mpbonline.org. You've been listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.